With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Try News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. Um, today we're sad. And I'm assuming Dan is also here with me. I am. And I'm sure you're also sad. Yeah, a little, little sad. The good word for it, I guess. It, it, it avoids angry, which which I think is good. Cause I don't really think that that's, that's productive in this situation. I mean, we are angry, but I think sad and disappointed. It is after such a an amazing start to the season is really is really all I've got. Um, you know, and, and I know this is going to devolve into a grief counseling session at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because like angry because there's not much we can do about it. It's just. You know, ultimately, we're just kind of letting, watching this thing play out like everyone else is, as much as we like to talk about talk about it and go on about it. Yeah, so, I guess, I mean, looking at last night, what what kind of stood out to you is just the most alarming. I mean, Grant's absence aside, like, what was the most alarming part of it to you? Um, just the complete inability of anyone not named CJ and and Tyler to well Tyler Ennis to make any kind of impact in the offensive end. Um, obviously I didn't expect too much from Roberson. I thought he'd be a little better than he was, but you know it is his first real action. So you know some people were complaining about him being a big time recruit. Like the dude doesn't play it all year and and missed the preseason. So he's behind where he should be. And I don't hold it against him. It's his first real action. Um, so to complain about the recruiting that this team is doing after something like that is kind of ridiculous to me. Um, but, you know, Christmas was a big factor. By had another, I thought, pretty bad game uh, in a, two in a row for him, which is rough. Um, just Cooney's, Cooney's been probably the biggest issue because he is really the one who can open up the offense and – spread out the floor, and he's just been so unable to convert on anything that it's a major issue. So it's just like we know CJ doesn't always have a great game. Last night he was pretty pretty great down the stretch. Um, and then Ennis, you know, even brought the scoring that he doesn't always bring because he knew he had to, and he was pretty good. But it's just outside of that, you can't, you can't get by in the ACC no matter who you're playing with two scorers, and no one else showed up. And I know Jeremy's a big player, but – 
you know, someone else has to, you know, do something on offense. Yeah, I think that that's really, like, my big struggle right now um, is that, you know, no one is doing anything. It, it's really come down to, you know, venison, fair, don't, you know, put up 15 to 20 points apiece. I mean, there's just no one doing anything. I mean, the running joke has been, you know, Kate has been wearing Hulk hands his entire career. But it's never seemed more apparent than the last few games. I mean, Christmas, all that progress we talked about um, in terms of, you know, him being in better position and being able to find him. Well, like, Christmas at this point, like, you're not – you tried that jump hook. It's not working. You're not finishing shots. You're not finishing at the rim. You're not getting the offensive rebounds you were. And now to see, you know, him and him and Kata vanish off the face of the earth. You know, Grant's been injured lately. Uh, and then that leaves, you know, Cooney, who I I know that there's a debate within the fan base about his value. And to me, honestly, like, I don't I don't see him as an elite defender. I see him as someone who is opportunistic with steals and he's a high-risk, high-reward, um, you know, defender in the front line of that zone. But for the most part, I, I do think if you watch the replays and all those wide-open threes, um, it, it's the man that he was previously guarding. Obviously, not a man-to-man setup, so you're not going to be guarding one man the entire time. But if you look at the amount of times that he's been caught out of position um, on these either wide-open threes or, you know, clear drives to lane, um, we're just being exploited. And, you know, he's not the only person falling down on defense, but he's definitely part of the problem. And, you know, like, we also had a debate in the comments last week about, okay, like, you know, where's Cooney at? Um, like, like, at what point is he going to shoot himself out of this? I, I don't think he can shoot himself out of it at this point. I mean, this is a guy who he was regularly throwing up offers from the floor, one for six or one for seven. I mean, he's shooting, like, 30% in ACC play. But that's not a slump. That, that is just an entirely cold streak in that on any other team it's someone who would likely be relegated to the pine immediately. It's weird because something, I don't know if it's him or if it's the rest of the team. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, he's the one shooting, so he's going to receive the blame. But it seems like he hasn't even been able to get open. Like, earlier in the year, maybe it was that he wasn't hadn't really broken onto the scene yet. But even, even in the Notre Dame game where he blew up, he was able to get his own shots and get, like, good looks. Now I know he's missing the good looks he does get, but he's not getting that many of them. Like, he's always smothered. And I don't know if it's that he's just – people aren't setting the screens they were earlier or if uh, if Jeremy's injury, if he was one of the guys who – I know he was a big screen guy, but I don't know if his injury prevented him from really getting those looks so uh, or giving Trevor those looks. So I don't know. It just seems like he's always covered. And he's constantly running still. He's not, like, not trying to get open. But early in the year, he used to find, like, get himself open a lot better now. It, it may, maybe it's just it seems, like, it seems that way because he's shooting so poorly. But very rarely does he get uh, really open looks now, except unless he gets one of those um, little throwback passes from Ennis in transition, which happens, like, once a game, and he hasn't even been knocking those down. So, I don't know. It's really, it's really bizarre to see someone go in the tank, go so cold, um, for like this long to stretch, like it, it happened with some of our other shooters, but they get out of it. Like James last year hit a bad stretch, but then the Big East came around and bombed people out for four games. But now it's just like this has been a really long stretch, and I'm, I'm starting to concede that it's not just like a, a normal slump. 
And I mean, I, I guess the issue now is like, you know, how do we rectify it? I mean, you can't let him just shoot out of it because he's not, he's not doing anything. So, I mean, is the answer Benajay? I would say that he's played really well in, in spurts, but but not amazingly. I mean, Roberson had his moments last night, but for the most part looked like, I mean, and this is a whole other topic we can get into. Roberson didn't look great, looked out of position on defense, but at points seemed to provide some of the spark we needed inside um, on offense, and I think that um, I think that he needs more time and he needs more confidence, and I don't necessarily agree, and I'm not doubting Jim and his, you know, Hall of Fame career and wins and everything else. I'm just saying that looking at the way in which he threw Roberson under the bus last night when there were plenty of other people that we could point a finger at for why we lost, um, I just don't think it does us any favors, and I don't think it does Roberson any favors in the long term either when it comes to his growth and development within this program. I think that was a little strange. I think it was more... I don't think he, he probably didn't mean it to come off like it did. Um, I think it was more like, uh, hey, this is why he hasn't been playing to this point, and it's not a surprise, more than, oh, he, like, he shit the bed. Like, I don't think he was trying – I don't think he was trying to throw him under the bus. I think it was more of an explanation as to why we haven't seen Roberson to this point, and it was, like, validation for that. But um, I still think they should give him some minutes because – Maybe not as many as he got last night if we can avoid, unless we, you know, are winning handily ever again. Um, I, I think that there's, he will get better with time. He was a great recruit. He, I have no doubt that he'll be a good player here. Like, I think that, like, people, as I said, were worrying about Roberson not panning out, and that's ridiculous. Um, I just think. It's way too early with, for that talk. Yeah, seriously. Like, give him a full year. Um, but uh, I, I just think that. Um, with the tournament coming with, you know, short rest between games, if Jeremy's back is going to – and we need him to play, obviously. Maybe not Florida State, but I would play him. I would hopefully play him in the ACC tournament. But if, even if you hold, have to hold him out for that, it's not the end of the world. We're probably – unless we run the table in the ACC, we're probably not going to get a one seed. I think that's the only situation where maybe we can fight back into it, but that's improbable. Um, so I think Jeremy getting healthy is a bigger issue than getting a – two or three or four or whatever. Um, but at, even that, the back is such a tricky area for injuries that I would still try to see what you can get out of uh, get out of Roberson for a season, or, you know, down the stretch here. Even if he could just give you ten minutes a night and, you know, give a couple good fouls if he needs to or get, grab two or three rebounds, like that's worth it to me. I completely agree. At this point, like what's – What's the point of running these kids into the ground, um, you know, if we don't have to? I'm just I, – I think we can toss the, like, you know, these are world-class athletes. They're just kids. Like, I think we can toss all that out the window at this point. Like, these kids are exhausted. We've seen it before with this team, and I've brought it up midseason, like, this has happened before. We guess the lesser team. We're talking about like the 0708 squad, but kids can get exhausted. And if you're played 40 full minutes every single night and you're not really getting a rest, like no matter how good an athlete you are, like you're gonna be exhausted. I just, I, I just think any amount of minutes before this would have helped Roberson a ton. Um, and now we're kind of like just looking around with our, you know, cut with our pants down, and going, uh, 
oh, I guess everyone is tired. Um, now what? Yeah, and and I, you know, I tend to err to Beheim being correct most of the time because he is, but I don't think he's beyond reproach. Like, look at the people were talking about the uh, the 2000, you know, the 2010 team. That team played awesome all season on seven players and only seven players. And you don't, I don't, I don't think accounting for freak it for freak incidents like the AO thing is really a valid criticism. Um, now with this, it's not like. You know, we we lost day one early in the year. We had Bai go out uh, already for a stretch. So I think it's a little more valid now to say, hey, maybe we should have gotten Roberson some looks. And the fact that he's, you know, he's not ready, but he's still like a six-foot-eight. Like, he's a, he's a player that is exactly what we could use to help us right now. Um, a good rebounder. He's, you know, he averaged like 12 rebounds a game in a very good league in high school. So I, I, I don't give up on him for this year, I think. Um, I hope he gets at least, like, ten minutes a night here on out. And, you know, I didn't think last night he was so bad that he was, like, the reason we lost. I thought he actually uh, hustled pretty well in the first half on defense. Uh, offensively, he didn't do much. But I didn't think he was so much worse than everyone else that was out there where he was, like, the glaring weakness on the team. He just, you know, he looked as lost as Bai did or as lost as, as uh, uh, Cooney did. Like, it wasn't a huge difference, but be, and, and those two uh, have way more experience and didn't look m- too much better for it. Right, I think I think that's where, like, I was a little irked, and I know a lot of other people were, too, to be honest. Like, just, like, a little, a little confused about, you know, why he was singled out. And, again, like, I, I understand, like, Behan's frustrated right now, but, but I... I mean, I, again, I don't want to read too much into things, but between this and the security guard incident, um, it seems like we've kind of hit our breaking point here, and, like, Bayheim's visibly hit his, and I don't, I don't know how that bodes for us as a team, because I, I personally, like, I haven't seen this in quite a while, like, or maybe ever, to be honest, like, at least, like, in my own recollection, like, you want to talk about, like, the, the McNamara rant, like, even that wasn't really, that that was an anger, that was just, like, his usual, like, media disgust, like, this is a whole different, this isn't discussed with the media, this is just discussed with, like, everything that's going on in the court, and it's coming out, I think, the worst possible ways. Yeah, although the, the, the I mean, the security guard thing's a really bad look, but, we don't know that things like that haven't happened before, like, and I hope they haven't because I like to think Bayon's a pretty good guy in general. Um, and that was, you know, that's a bad report. But he, you know, maybe he just hasn't had uh, intrepid Fox Sports reporters, uh, you know, around the corner all the time. So we don't really know what things have been like in the past. Um, and and you know, the Roberson thing is probably the one like outward example of it. But I mean, the team seems like they're in decent spirits. So and we don't and again like it's hard to tell from just what comes out in the paper how they actually feel but um, it seems like from what I've heard from them it's just like they're they're getting through it but they're not overly worked up or worried about it so hopefully they they're keeping an even keel and and just gonna try to shake this one off um, because and hopefully they're not reacting to it as poorly as all of us are to be honest. <laughs> I guess, Dan, do you think this I think this is part of the step up to the ACC, the step up to a Blue Blood program is that we're going to be scrutinized, we're going to be 
put under the microscope? Like, or, or do you think that this is just a one-year thing completely based on the 25 and 0 start and nothing else? Do you think that this is – I mean, we've talked about it before. I think the fan base is dealing with some growing pains. I think the program is dealing with some growing pains. Um, obviously, we've taken some parts of that better than others. But I, I do think that it's a symptomatic of maybe some things that we're going to be seeing for several years to come, and it might not be, you know, last few years we dealt with that other shoe, you know, waiting to drop could this possibly could it possibly not be that and, and more just be a symptom of, you know, like with, with greater stakes come greater scrutiny at the same time? I hadn't thought about it, but I think you might be onto something. Like we've been number one two other times since I got to Syracuse, and neither of those years did I feel like we got the attention we did this year um, or had we gotten the attention after we had lost it as we have this year. Like we've – Yesterday and and the BC loss, obviously they're probably the two worst losses I can remember as a number one team uh, or a post-number one team as a Syracuse fan. But they got a ton of attention, like a real lot. Um, and I think that might be a, indicative of, of Syracuse is now considered uh, pretty close to that top tier. And, and, I mean, it would make sense because the thing about how Syracuse has been built this year um, – I tweeted something out a couple weeks ago. It was an ESPN graphic where it was about Duke, where four of the five top uh, or three of the four top rated college basketball games this year um, were Duke games on ESPN, and two of the top three were the Syracuse Duke games. So uh, I think just there's been so much attention, and it might be you know a lot of it's legitimate because the team's been really good, but some of it might just kind of be the ESPN hype machine, which uh, is kind of an undeniable force at this point. But, uh, yeah, um, I just think that, that we are kind of hitting that level because I mean, it might just because we've played Duke pretty much even two straight weeks or two two straight games now as an ACC team. Uh, we were a number one ACC team. We were on ESPN all the time or on some backwater channel like the last night, but usually we're, on, we're pretty high-profile games. And every time we lose now, it seems like a way bigger story than it was in 2010 or 2012 when we lost. So, I don't know, I think there is something to that. And I guess now, um, with that, like, we got so used to, I mean, yes, there was scrutiny involved in the Big East, and but it, it almost did seem regional, and I feel like now that's kind of gone out the window. Um, I, I do think that, you know, we talked about gravy and everything else last season, Um I, I think that now, you know, we, we have upped our game. This is this is win the this is win the regular season title at the very least, or bust. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm happy to embrace it. I'm I'm excited to embrace it. But but I do think that this is going to be. I mean, and on the site, it's funny because I I feel like for those of us who've been around at least a little while, we all get to kind of, we get to kind of look back and, and see how the fan base's general tenor has changed. And I think we're going to be able to look back maybe in five years and go, like, wow, like, that the gravy conversation was ever there, that there were certain things that we just, as a program, didn't expect. And I think, you know, we're there, but I think it also, you know, requires, most importantly to me, is getting over this hump right now. And that's, you know, losing four or five, losing two really shitty games to BC and Georgia Tech. Um, and, and I, in some ways, I'm, like, terrified for, 
for how this season ends and others I'm excited to see, you know, how we recover. A little bit of both, but it's not the thing. Like last year, I don't think people viewed the team the same way. So I think it, there was that, that gravy discussion. This year, I don't think we end up a three seed and then make a Sweet 16 run and have a disappointing Elite Eight loss like a an Ohio State. Like we played pretty decently but lost in a, a bad way. I don't think the team is an idea to pass. I think people will be like, well, you were 25-0. and 0, what, what the hell? So I think we might be beyond the gravy thing. I think people will be – pretty rightly annoyed if we don't still make a decent NCAA run. People will still be really disappointed about how things turned out. I don't think expectations have really gotten reset. I think it's just been like, I think people are still expecting this team to rebound even if they sound really frustrated. Or even the people who call the season over. Like, I'm pretty sure if we bounce back, win two in the ACC tournament, and get a two seed, I think people will still be like, all right, let's go. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I'm kind of struggling with now is, I mean, I'm not the, I'll admit, I'm not the most positive um, SU fan in the world, but, you know what, I am someone who does revel in our successes um, <laughs> with with the best and most obnoxious of them at the same time. And now to me, like, I, I guess, I'm, I'm terrified for, for what's next, but I'm excited at the same time because, you know, last night I said to a couple of my buddies, said, you know, I've never wanted a season to end so soon. But at the same time, like, I, I look back at that comment today and it seems silly. And I think we're all, you know, prone to rash overgeneralizations at times. But to me, like, yeah, looking at that and going, you know what, like, no. Like, the, the season started 25-0. and 0, I had I had dreams of going to Dallas and all this other stuff. And, and I don't think those are dead yet. I mean, no matter what, I'm – Personally, still going to be in Vegas the first weekend of March Madness, wearing all orange um, and cheering this team on. And, you know, win or lose, I've got all the alcohol in the world around me to comfort me, (laughs) despite (laughs) what may or may not happen. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm still, last night was bad, and last night was even like, we didn't even have, like, bad calls to against us. It was just we got beat straight up by a not-good team. Like, even the BC game, like, BC's worse than Georgia Tech, but even BC had, like, some sketchy stuff go down at the end. <laughs> Last night, like, there wasn't one point where I was like, oh, God damn it, Carl Hess. Like, the whole entire thing was just like, oh, this is just not good. And I it's, it even lost that, like, I've completely lost that sense of invulnerability that I had during the late 25-0 and run where we won every game weirdly. Like, Back then, like, with even the BC game, when there was time down the stretch, like, and it was always supremely confident we, we would uh, we'd pull it out. It, since then, um, I don't remember how it was definitely I felt for Maryland, but the, uh, the the game last night, like, halfway through the first half, I'm like, this is not good. We're not going to win this game. Yeah. And it wasn't even a – it didn't even get out of hand at any point. It was always, like, fairly close. But it's just like you have that sense where this team just could not figure it out. I mean, we just said, yeah, last night was a straight bludgeoning, and, like, I was I was just so bummed from start to finish about just how things went. That, like, it, it was so ugly, so awful. Like, to, to see us just get completely manhandled by a team, we were just obviously more talented then. Like, it was the first, and it was 
the same thing I've told people over and over again this year um, is I've insisted to a lot of folks, um, like, hey, guys, like, you know, I'm, I, I'm never one that's overly confident about wins and never one that's overly confident that we're going to pull things out. And, and, again, you know, we've talked about that. That's a product of being, of, you know, while I was an SU fan growing up, my first two years on campus were those, were the NIT years of 06 to 07 and 07 to 08. So to me, like, I'm conditioned to feel like something's going to go awfully terribly wrong. But, but I, 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 I was always curious why everyone else had this have this very, you know, confident feeling about this team at all times. And now, like, I'm, I never wanted to be right about these things. But to see this team just, you know, lay an egg like that and and just not show up, it, it shows that it, there's much more wrong than just Grant being out. And I think, you know, uh, Craig's got to it a little bit today um, on the site. It's, you know, pace is a big problem. If you're going to be inefficient on offense and and have a really slow pace, there's nothing to master errors. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fix what ails you. You need you need to just take more shots because you know what? If you hit 40% of 60 shots, it's going to be bad. If you hit 40% of 80 shots, you have a chance of being in a game. And and to see this team go from what was the top 10 most efficient offense in the country to now I think we're I think like we, barely so, hanging on to the top 25. I think we topped that at four, and we've fallen to, top, to I think, 25th in two weeks' time, which is awful. Right. Like, top 25 doesn't sound bad, but, like, it's legitimately probably, like, bottom 25% uh, if you just account for the last two or three weeks of play. Um, and I, I agree. Like, I was always the one who would – you know, say, hey, and when when we were actually playing good, efficient offense, people were like, oh, they don't score any points. I'm like, yeah, but we're scoring half the time we don't on the floor. And see, and Trevor will hit four threes in a game. Now I, I tend to agree, and I think the team has tried to push it a little more. They haven't, like, gone full bore with it. But I have seen we've attempted to, to run out a bit more. Um, it just has – we're just not a great transition team, which doesn't help uh, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I think the transition stuff irks me and really confuses me a bit. Um, I think that what confuses me most of all is how the team plays for the first 30 minutes of, of, of every single game lately. I would say I would say upwards of, of a month and a half at this point is that it's a very kind of, you know, lax, We'll take care of this later. Don't worry about it. We score, we score. If not, okay. Like, and then the last ten minutes, turn it on, and, and I feel like you know, you and me and a lot of other folks said over and over again when this is happening, like we're really happy that we're winning games this late, but there's a really big problem here. That is, this team has no sense of urgency until it's like ass is held to the flames. Yeah, even even last night, like they got back in it, like they could have fallen. Like Virginia, I I had a hard time getting too worked up about Virginia because that team is way better than I thought it was. Like they're legit. I know they haven't played a tough schedule, and I was a knock on them, and I still I had questions about them because of that. But man, like they were legitimately really good, and that was the first time all year where the team has just like gotten completely outclassed. Um, I mean, even last night, like they they got back in when they were down ten for most of the second half. Um, and they could have 
conceivably stolen the game away, but the, it was the same thing where, like, if they had just gotten off to a decent start, if they had played the first, you know, six minutes of the game, like they played that middle stretch of the second half where they cut the lead and almost tied it up a couple times, you know, they probably would have been okay, but they, you know, it seems like the rest of the offense, aside from CJ and, and Tyler, just seem content to let CJ and Tyler do what they want to do, which is fine, like you said, when we're playing a lot of offense, but we don't play very much offense because we're the other team is always milking the clock because they can't figure out the zone, uh, and then they'll jack a shot and hit it somehow. Um, and then we just like seem to be like, all right, well, we have CJ who will drive the lane and store half the time, or we have Tyler who will get in the lane and store half the time. Everyone else uh, figure it out. Just, they'll just run and set a couple streams, but they don't. There doesn't seem to be any real cohesion among the other three players. And I think Jeremy not being there hurts because he was a guy who would do some pitch and pop stuff, although his his jump shot wasn't falling at all the last couple of games, and that should be because of the injury. Um, or he could also get to the rim and he could battle down low a little bit and get offensive rebounds. Um, but the rest of the team, like even Rack, doesn't even like he he had that stretch we talked about where he was he looked pretty good and on offense and he would post up and make some moves and he just seems lost too. And then by just honestly should just stay back on defense. <laughs> He's just such a non-entity on offense, and every time he gets near the ball, just something bad happens. I love the kid, and he's just a great, hard-working player, but, man, he's a hole on offense. Yeah, I think that's just what's – it's always been apparent, and I know we've had our – like, you know, he randomly showed up to the rescue in that Georgetown game last year. <laughs> the whole the whole postseason last year. <laughs> the whole postseason last year, he was just kind of yeah, – he did, like, randomly come out of nowhere. I just – as I've said before on the site, on Twitter, wherever, him and Christmas would just be better served. If you get an offensive rebound, just go up with the ball and dunk it because that's the only guaranteed result that I'm seeing. They need to either just go up with it and hopefully get fouled. Both of them are, are decent enough at the line. Like uh, People always, like, the last couple times I was on the line, the announcers have been talking about how bad he is there. He just doesn't go there that often. Last year, he somehow in the NCAA tournament got fouled a lot and shot like 78%. And Christmas has been pretty good at the line this year. So they need to either just go up hard and hope they get a foul call, which they should most a decent amount of the time, or immediately find someone to kick it back out. Because the hesitation stuff just does not work. Great. All right, on that note, let's um, talk here. Because I'm sure we've all needed a lot of it lately. Well, I, I haven't been on in a couple of weeks, well, two weeks, so I'm actually, it feels like so long ago because uh, the Duke game, the last Duke game was the day I went to this beer thing event in the city, uh, and that feels like it was a month ago, it was two weeks ago, which is kind of scary. Yeah, tell us about that, because you and I were talking about it on Twitter, and I wanted to hear all about this, uh, this stone cask event. Yeah, so it's been... Um, I'm trying to log in on tap here on my computer. Uh, it's been pre- well, the last like two weeks or, or two weekends with the week in between were um, Craft Beer Week in New York, which we discovered the night before the Duke game. So <laughs> I went in to the city. To, I was going to go in to watch the game anyway at, uh, at Social uh, in Hell's Kitchen, which has kind of been our go-to Syracuse bar. Uh, which was great because the, the alumni association has really been playing up those big matchups. 
So beforehand, there was we, we went on this website and we saw all the events, and there was a stone cast event at a bar up on the uh, on 60th, uh, 60th Ave and or 60th Street and Second or Third Ave. I forget exactly where it was. Uh, the Jeffrey, which I had heard of before as a good beer bar, but I had never been to, and it was awesome. It was like a couple couple bucks for a glass. It were like they were like the little like eight ounce glasses. So. Uh, it wasn't actually. It was a little less than that. It was like sit down. So there were samples, but like there was, I think probably at least a dozen uh, different stone beers there that they they had, and they were all re- like at least solidly good. Um, I don't know how available you can find a lot of these. I know that they have the uh, the rumination grapefruit out, um, which was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, my favorite couple they had a they had a stone uh, ginger pale ale which had a real distinct ginger flavor. Um, that was their lightest beer there. Uh, it wasn't too hoppy compared to most of Stone stuff, but it was just really, it was really re- refreshing, honestly. It was, I think it would have been a good, um, like, session beer. Um, it, was, it, was, it wasn't too light, but it was just a really drinkable flavor. Um, they, had stone, they had a lot of different uh, versions of Ruination. Uh, there was one with lemon peel and Amarillo hops, which was good. Um, they had the self finally self-righteous with grapefruit peel, which I actually liked a little more than the Ruination with grapefruit peel. Um, darker, a little hoppier, uh, black IPA. Um, they had a stone IPA with kaffir lime, which was delicious. Uh, they said I had at least nine or ten of the of the ones they had there. I only stiffed a couple because uh, it was getting late and we had to go to the game. Um, so that was great. Uh, I don't know how often they do those kinds of events or where exactly. You probably know better than I do, John, because you're a big stone guy. But um, it was awesome, and uh, can't recommend that enough. And I don't know how much of these things they distribute at all, but it was, you know, you can look on my untapped list because there's so many of them. I'm going to sit here and list a bunch of stone beers. But um, really cool event, and definitely recommend that. And also the Jeffrey, the bar itself, I didn't, we didn't actually drink at the actual bar, but they had a really robust beer list. So if you're... Uh, uptown a bit in New York. Definitely recommend that. Um, a couple of the other ones I've had the last couple of weeks, uh, Two Roads Brewing, which I brought up. It's a Connecticut brewery. I had their Belgian Triple, which is called Rye 95. Um, really good. Uh, obviously, I'm a big Belgian guy, but this this was one of the better, um, the better rye beers I've had recently. Uh, and then yesterday, I bought uh, Dogfish Head, uh, their Namaste, which is their, uh, their wheat beer, which also really good. Um, a little pretty like for for a wheat it wasn't it was kind of almost heavy like they had so much going on flavor wise where it wasn't they weren't it was it was drinkable but it wasn't one of those things where you just pound them back because the flavors they weren't like deep or anything but they were just really apparent and really bold so uh but really solid flavor there if you like if you like uh, wheat beers and then fed a couple of the standards uh, tonight I had a couple of the uh, Saranac pale ales, which was always good. I tried Sam Adams' uh, uh, Rebel IPA, which I've seen popping up. It was okay. Um, I don't know how much IPA stuff they do, but definitely kind of like a a mid-level average IPA. There are a lot of better ones out there. So if you see that one, it has like a spray spray paint type uh, uh, tap head, which it was kind of cool looking, and I had seen it a couple times, but uh, just kind of average. But all the stone stuff was pretty awesome. So definitely recommend if you can get out to one of their cast events, do it. Yeah, I really need to. Because the problem is around here, like we don't have a ton of, like they won't necessarily do an event in LA. 
just because San Diego is, like, relatively close. I know I was telling you on Twitter, like, now that they bought the, uh, the property um, downtown L.A., and they, I mean, they already have a, uh, a kind of, like, quick tasting room and a growler fill set up up in Pasadena. But, um, you know, they're looking to do, like, another World Bistro and Gardens, like, big setup um, for those who are in California, similar to the Liberty Station um, Stone. So that's probably going to change the game a little bit, um, which should be nice. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love going to events like that. I would say that, you know, the San Diego breweries, again, don't do a ton up here, but the L.A. ones um, do, actually, which is super nice. But, uh, yeah, a couple uh, a couple from me. Well, actually, not a couple. I did a, quite a bit of drinking last week because it's fucking Syracuse <laughs> was. <laughs> We're really uh, living up. One beer that... Uh, I, I mean, Lisa kind of called attention to it a couple of weeks ago, and it, it, it's only gotten more and more true since. Um, this podcast has never had a more apt name <laughs> than the past couple of weeks. Yeah, a um, couple beers that no one on the podcast besides me and the other people in Southern California are going to be able to try. Uh, Fortune Islands uh, is an American pale wheat ale uh, from modern times down in San Diego. Absolutely delicious. Really, really light drink. Like this is this is a beer that would make a killing back east um, during the summer. I think it's something like only like 4.5 percent alcohol. Just a really easy to go down like great beer that um, is perfect for summer day drinking. That's available in a pint can pretty much anywhere around here. Um, one of my favorite beers that is not bottled as of yet, um, Amarillo Gorilla from Smog City, also here in L.A. Um, got to have that on tap. I, I find it uh, around enough. And then uh, Amalgamator um, IPA from Beachwood, which is just reminds you that the, uh, the bottle by date does matter on IPAs and uh, for me like having something just so crisp delicious just so many tropical scents just right at the front um, I know Aaron had mentioned one of the times he was on the podcast that uh, Beachwood does get over to um, New York occasionally but I just I don't know if this one's going to necessarily maybe I guess <laughs> you happen to see him out there once in a while, but I think it's really been like their more standard stuff. I haven't seen more, more than like one or two beers out of them around here. Got it. Well, in that case, Malgander probably won't be there. Um, they've had this on tap for years, but um, it's finally hitting bottles, and I was not disappointed. Luckily, uh, the Whole Foods by me got a uh, got a one case shipment and kept it in the back, so I was able to able to grab one. Um, and then beyond that. Um, drink a Citra Extra Pale Ale from uh, Knee Deep Brewing. That's uh, up in NorCal, actually. Um, and then last night, I had myself a uh, Hopocalypse from uh, Drake's, the double IPA. Um, I don't really know Drake's distribution, but I'm assuming it's not very wide. Um, they're up in San Leandro. Um, so, yeah, a lot of IPAs this week, and I've been in kind of a, uh, an IPA-ish mood. And hop, probably more of those to come. Hop your sorrows away. I mean, there's worse ways to drink yourself to death. 
it could be much worse. I could have for for, all, for the few beers that I had, I could have had like twenty five Miller Lights, and that probably would have had the same ish effect. <laughs> uh, if only we could win. I'm excited for our our impromptu beer exchange. Uh, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe I'll bring. I'm going to the ACC tournament next week, um, oh, which oh maybe I'll advise them. <laughs> um, I'm going down uh, for fr- Thursday night, so I bought my ticket for the uh, second session of that day, which is the two and three seed games. So I was hoping that the like really crazy situation doesn't happen. Even though it, it seems so improbable that Syracuse slips to the four seed, but it needs like. I think Duke losing tonight actually might have prevented that completely. Um, but I brought my tickets right after the UVA game ended, uh, so me and a friend are driving down there. So uh, I might bring that that Pliny that I get in the mail with me and pop it if we win, uh, or I might just drink it as soon as I get it. Honestly, I can't tell what's going to happen. So <laughs> I'm excited for that though. That might that might end up being the the saving grace of this uh, basketball season. The only thing I can look forward to now. Have you have you ever gotten a Pliny before? Uh, I've uh, a what? Have you ever gotten to check out Pliny before? I know you said like you get the really limited oh. distribution, like in place that it in Philly, and that's it. That's like the only place outside of uh, like I think on the Eastern Seaboard. I know that probably maybe not like that might be the only place like east of the Mississippi that gets it. And I haven't gotten it there. Yeah, this is I mean my oh. first uh my first time having is it the uh the under or the elder? Younger actually doesn't get bottled and I there's actually a really large amount of Californians who haven't even had younger just because of the ridiculous like ten hour lines that are associated with its release. Yeah, I figured it was the elder. Myself I think included. it really gets uh gets younger on tap too. Like, I don't know what, what their deal is, but they have some like sweetheart deal with uh with the Russian river was it Russian River? Uh, I forgot what the brewing company's called. Yeah, it's there's that we the one place in Philly that like I always see come up. It has like a couple places in L.A., a ton of places in San Diego, a ton of places in San Francisco, and then like the one bar in Philly that <laughs> like that happens to get younger. But yeah, even like around here, I mean, there was one bar near me that uh, it had younger on tap and it was gone, and I think they said 35 minutes. Yeah, there's a this this bar that I I mean you probably see me check into. It's not even a bar, it's a pizza place, but they have like 50 something uh beers on tap and they get some stuff that I haven't seen anywhere else in the eastern on the east coast. So, I don't know, maybe I'll like jokingly ask them if they're thinking about getting it or something, but I don't hold out much hope of of seeing under anytime soon. So, uh if I come out to Cali anytime uh for any for whatever reason, I might have to scout that out. But uh I haven't had the Elder either and we don't get that anywhere. So, Excited to see to to try that out. Well, if it makes you feel better, we might be getting. Um, I mean, well, based on one of the bracketologies I saw today, it did say that Syracuse was uh, potentially headed to Anaheim if they made it to the second weekend. Which, <laughs> while I I think that it would be terrible for for SU as a whole, I'm not complaining if I got to see two games. <laughs> Uh, yeah, very that was my hope. Able to jump into the city real quick and go to ours, but you know, obviously the one year in like forty years or whatever it is that that uh, 
Syracuse that has a chance of playing games in the tournament in MSG. We go 25-0 and 0 and seem to have a one seed locked up and then lose four or five to two under 500 teams. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, of course. And honestly, like, and this is what I was, like, you know, telling my wife, too. Like, of course, like, the goddamn stars are aligned. Like, her cousin lives in Dallas. Like, you know, one of my main clients is, like, one of the primary sponsors of the uh, Final Four. So, like, I would get to work while I was there. Everything was going to work out. Sounded awesome. And then, like, this happens. So, I yeah, guess the conversation surprise. As Jared wrote today, you know, this the same exact thing did happen last year, although, you know, the losses weren't as bad and the team wasn't surging so much before it. But, you know, this could always just be a blip on the, blip on the radar. It doesn't look good because there was – the telltale signs before the losing streak is what concerns me more. Like, it wasn't like this team was rolling on offense and then just completely sputtered out for a little bit. Like, they, it was kind of a building thing, so that concerns me a bit. But uh, it, we could just turn it around. <laughs> I wouldn't be, like, shocked if that happened. So, we'll see. Uh, we could very well be in Dallas in, in four weeks from, from today. Uh, or we might not. I really hope we are. I wanted to see Bruce Springsteen for free. Uh, honestly, that would be, like, half of the reason I wanted to go. So. Yeah, I'm all about it. Like, I would love for us to go. And obviously, uh, Dan, if you or anyone else, if we end up in the uh, West Bracket and there's some games in Anaheim, obviously uh, the couch is uh, is an option for you. <laughs> Sounds good. I, I, I won't say no because last year uh, with about two minutes left in the Marquette game that we won to go to the Final Four, I was in D.C., I was texting friends and being like, hey, are, you, are we going to go? Are we going to get tickets for Atlanta? And everyone's and uh, one of my really good buddies who comes to everything with me, SU, was like, I really can't afford it. So I was still planning on going without him. But literally, like, I think five minutes left in the game, he was like, I, I can't afford it. I really want to go, but I don't think I can make it happen. My phone dies. I take the, uh, the Metro out to where uh, my friend's house where I was staying. So maybe 30 minutes later, I turn my phone on, and I have a text message waiting for me from him saying, oh, I already bought the tickets and we're going. Uh, so I didn't have a choice. I was <laughs> final four. Um, so I, I didn't really – I wasn't 100% sure if I was going to the final four, and I was pushed into it. So I don't think I'll be going to Anaheim if we're there, but I won't say I'm not for sure because anything could happen. It's, it's uh, okay. you know, I could have someone force me into it. It might not be my choice. And admittedly, if we're going to, like, I say now that I'm not, because coming clean here, I literally looked up Dallas tickets and almost booked on South on uh, Southwest. There was a uh, $230 round trip um, for, for the right dates from L.A. to Dallas, and I seriously, seriously considered doing it, if only because, worst case, I would just push it to something else. Um, and then just hang out with my wife's cousin for the uh, the weekend. But I mean, despite I the fact that it's going to be a it's going to be a serious like financial you know investment for me booking a week before. Um, I, I do think that I didn't like the the karmic implications of of booking a trip to Dallas like a month out. I have a, a friend who <laughs> booked a flight to Dallas 
the week before, I don't know if it was after the BC game or before it, but it was a couple days before the Duke loss, and clearly we haven't let him hear the end of that because he booked a really affordable flight to Dallas, and he uh, we've lost four or five since then. So <laughs> um, I won't give his name on here uh, because I don't want people berating him on Twitter because uh, I read the comment section last night, and our fans are completely unhinged at this point. But um, okay. if you want to direct me any bad vibes, I will send them to the right person. Speaking of our fans, um, I'm not going to call you guys out or anything, but at the same time, it seems we have this very odd kind of schism between fans of, like, I'm going to freak out, but only on my own terms, and if you don't freak out on the same terms, you know, then you're an asshole like, thing that we got going on right now. I mean, like, admittedly, like, I was setting Twitter ablaze after the Virginia game and was, like, summarily called out by, like, you know, just a, a whole host of people. I understand that comes with the territory. You know, I write for the web's most notable Syracuse blog. Things are going, like, if I have an opinion about something, negative, positive, whatever, something is, like, I'm going to get taken to task for it, and that's fine. But that said, like, can we all allow each other to just grieve in, in whatever manner we decide is appropriate at the time? Yeah, I, last night there was, I forgot who it was, um, and I wouldn't call them out anyway on the podcast. There was someone who was getting kind of ridiculous, and it was a good poster. So, like, just don't spam the comment section. Like, if you're gonna, if you're going to try to get over it, like, that's fine, but at least try to put your put your rantings and ravings into one one big one, I think is preferable to, like, every three minutes coming back in and be like, oh, yeah, and then bye, still can't catch, and we should have never given him a scholarship, and Tyler Roberson obviously shouldn't have won New Jersey Player of the Year in high school last year, and Ennis should leave for the draft. Uh, that was the most amazing one. Someone actually said last night uh, in the middle of the game that they won't be sorry to see Ennis go to the NBA. I'm like, Ennis is one of the only players that played well. Planet <laughs> had a great game last night. <laughs> Outside of that very, very untimely turnover, though. Yeah, well, that was bad. But I can't. I mean, I'm not gonna use one play as a referendum on his game. Like he was, what he had, 18 and seven on a team. Like, how do you have seven assists? How did that happen? Who else scored? We had four, four field goals outside of him and CJ. I think. <laughs> Self assist. CJ half the time was coming, coming off of the three point line, so. I don't even know how if those even accounted as a fifth half the time for, for Ennis. So, like, the fact that he put up the numbers he did when everyone knew he was either going to shoot or pass it directly to CJ was, is unbelievable. So he had a great game. I can't hate on Ennis, and I'd be very sorry to see him go to the NBA. I think it very well may happen. Um, I think there's a chance he stays. Uh, but to say, like, we're going to be better without him, that's crazy. Just because he, he doesn't run the fast break as well as, like, Johnny Flynn did, like, come on. Right. I mean, again, it's, we have a fan base, that, and I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it. We're prone to, to irrational generalizations about things. We're prone to – at the end of the day, does that make as much different than the other fan base? I just feel like everyone kind of, at the end of every loss lately, plays a game of, well, I'm a better fan than you because I'm not taking such an irrational response, or I'm taking such an irrational response, but how could you not be on the same page as me? And it's just – it's always interesting to watch the Syracuse fan base act in a way that just seems bonkers 
to, like, most societal behaviors? Uh, I don't know how different we are. Like, people are calling for John Talapari's head, um, and he won an NCAA title two years ago and gets top, like, recruiting classes that are twice as good as anyone else's every year and went to Final Four and Elite Eight before the, the national championship. So if Kentucky fans are going to call for his job because they're going to be, like, a seven seed, uh, I think Syracuse fans have a pass in terms of, like, craziest fan base. But uh, I, I don't know. We only really – like, we, we we follow, like, the notable people from other fan bases, but we don't see the, the general populace of, of uh, you know – we don't know exactly what UN, every UNC fan was talking about early in the year when they looked hopeless. So it, it's hard for us, for me to judge another fan base because I don't see the totality of it like I do the, the Syracuse fan base. There. So I guess I guess we'll briefly talk about Sunday's game. Um, not that I think any of us really that focused on at this point. Uh, what do you see from the Florida State game? Do you expect Grant to play? Um, does it matter if we win or lose? Um, I'd like to win just so I can lock up the. the I, I don't want there any. I don't, I, again, I don't know what the Duke Duke lost to Wake Forest. If any of you are somehow listening to this, I think tomorrow. the Duke lost to Wake Forest actually <laughs> clinches our spot. I don't remember. Maybe. There was a. I don't look up the Patrick Stevens thing because he's been awesome uh, recently on Syracuse.com. Um, but, oh, here we go. I think I found it. Um, yeah, this is great radio. I'm pretty sure there was a scenario where, let's see, the Blue Devils will be the three seed with a loss to North Carolina and a win over, okay, that's not it. Uh, Duke can be the four seed with two losses. They could be the two with two wins. I think that it might have locked us into the to the two seed, honestly, because uh, the only scenario where Duke could be the the two was if they won out and they didn't. Syracuse, um, let's see, North Carolina can be the two seed with a win against Duke and a Syracuse loss. Right. So we're in we the two and three. So if UNC beats Duke, they'll be the two seed. If Duke beats UNC, it looks like we'll be the two seed. Um, they tried it. Uh, yeah, so we're locked into the two or the three. Uh, Duke is either going to be the three or the four. UNC is either going to be the two or the four, it looks like. Or no, I don't know. Um, Syracuse could only be the four seed with a loss and a Duke win over Wake Forest and North Carolina win over Duke. So Duke already lost to Wake Forest, so we are going to be playing on Friday night. No matter what, we're the two or the three. I think it looks like we're going to be the two unless North Carolina wins at Cameron. And then we'd be the three and North Carolina would be the two. Right. Don't quote me on that, but that, that looks like reading Patrick Stevens' breakdown from this afternoon. I'm pretty sure we're all set for the uh, – and this only really matters to people who are going, like me, who didn't want to lose out in that night game because we already bought our tickets. But it sounds like we're still most likely going to be the two seed, assuming Duke can knock off UNC at home, which is probably not a great assumption because UNC has probably been better than anyone else in the conference over the last couple weeks. Um, but if not, we'll be the three and be playing at, I guess, 9 o'clock. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I still care. Just because, what time is the night tip off at? 
one's at seven, one's at nine. I'm hoping for the nine because for those of us who are on the West Coast, nine means 6 p.m., and that means that I am definitely going to be home from work at that point. But the, four, uh, the other one means 4 o'clock, which means I'm spending an absolutely unproductive last hour of work watching the score. <laughs> yeah, that, that stinks. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I work on the Internet, so I can watch, and I work for a sports site uh, <laughs> as of, like, a month ago. So it's not really an issue for me. Um, but, yeah, I can't imagine not being able to watch the game in any situation. Um, and I'll be down there. So, yeah, if anyone else is in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina uh, next week, definitely drop me a line and we'll try to, if there's any Syracuse events or, you know, of a good Syracuse bar to go to, I'll be in Greensboro slash Winston-Salem. Um, and then I'm going to be making my way down to Columbia, South Carolina to visit some friends, uh, either depending on what we do in terms of wins and losses. Uh, so if you're in the general Carolina area, Definitely drop me a line and uh, let me know where I should be going. You heard the man. Um, I will not be in Greensboro, sadly. Maybe one day. My parents have a house not close at all, but nonetheless, at least somewhere I can, like, use as home base in North Carolina. But anyway, um, I guess we'll wrap up there. Uh, Let's hope Syracuse and my heart palpitations and yours uh, this weekend. And thank you again, Dan, for joining. I know uh, I know this wasn't an easy podcast to be coaxed into. Uh, any, anything for the for the fan base here? Anything for you guys? <laughs> we do it for you. <laughs> So for uh, Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network, I'm John, that was Dan, and go Orange, try to keep your livers alive this weekend. Or don't. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.